Time for the Friday edition of Hancock and Kelly. You two belong together. John Hancock, Michael Kelly on News Radio 1120, KMOX. Happy Friday, St. Louis. I'm Michael Kelly. That guy right there, John Hancock. How about that? I'm in a particularly chipper mood today. Buddy, I woke up and was like, what's that big ball up in the sky? And I know. Then, it's got to be the weather. Flipped on KMOX. Yeah, yeah. You know, first thing I did, I kind of strolled over to the window, checked it out, opened the door, thought, boy, it's pretty out. Yeah. Flipped on KMOX. You know what they said? What did they say? Gonna snow Monday. What? Gonna snow Monday. That's Monday. Yeah. I mean, that's like days from now. But, I mean, how, how do we go from 70 to cold enough to, you're, to you're snow? In, you're in God's country here yeah. in the middle of America. Yeah. In the middle of America where all four seasons come rolling through beautifully. In the middle of February. Yes. Yeah, just we get all four seasons. Well, you got a little spring day out there today, which is nice. Uh, the winter's coming back. It'll be here again. And then, and then next week, Michael, the pitchers and catchers report to Jupiter, Florida, I tell you what, it's my favorite time of the year. Yeah, I, I saw at the love uh, this. beginning of the week, uh, the news was covering the big semi-trucks living, yes. leaving Bush Stadium, heading to South Florida. Yes. And that gives you a good feeling that we're not that far away from the Clydesdales, yes. uh, you know, marching around here in, in, at Bush Stadium. But, uh, boy, a lot to learn uh, when we go to spring training this year. We're going to have a bunch of pitchers we haven't seen. And, Let's just hope we have some pitchers after last year, huh? Yeah, the we're going to have pitchers. Um, and of course, we've seen Lance Lynn. It's been a few years. Uh, we've not seen Sonny Gray, and we've not seen uh, Mr. Gibson, who's going to be on the mound, not Bob. Uh, but you know, we've got a we've got a rotation. I think Stephen Matz is going to be better than a lot of people think. He was very good when he came back from injury last year, the second half of the season. He was one of the better pitchers in the league. So. I'm not as down on our starting rotation as many Cardinal fans are, but they've got to, you know. The Did you say Lance Lynn? He's got to be getting close enough to an age to run for president he's these days, is he not? No, he's a long way from that. He's 35 oh. or 36, I think. Um, is, this, is this his third run with us? He had second. Second? Okay, he had yeah, he one. Started and with then, us. Yeah. You know, it was interesting. Uh, he had a no-trade clause a year ago, I think it was, maybe two. And uh, it, it, he had a no-trade clause, and it came time to the trade deadline. And the Cardinals were one of the teams he said he did not want to be traded to, which I found very interesting. And uh. then he signs with the Cardinals in the offseason, so that, that's a puzzle. Well, hey, boy, we have a great day for you, man. Great if you uh, paid day. attention to politics yesterday, uh, I think you're going to be surprised as to what uh, Hancock and Kelly have to say. What an unbelievable day in our political uh, discourse. It was. We're going to visit with Colonel McCausland about what's going on with Russia. Are we just surrendering to Vladimir Putin? And then former NFL referee and good friend of mine, Joe LaRue, is going to be in. We're going to talk to Super Bowl. Can you believe it's already the Super Bowl football almost over for the year? Yeah, Joe, that's going to be a great interview, folks. 9.30 today. You don't want to miss that. It's fascinating. Mike Miller hosts the Garden Hotline. Saturday mornings at 8 on The Voice of St. Louis. KMOX. Hey, welcome back to Hancock and Kelly, the radio show right here on KMOX every Friday at this time is our political show, or our political segment. And John, wow, what a day we had yesterday. No kidding. The United States Supreme Court. By the way, they uh, audio broadcasted the arguments before the they Supreme did. Court. I like that. Yeah. I like being able to hear it. Uh, the president of the uh, former president of the United States was challenging whether or not the voters of Colorado could prohibit him from being on the ballot. Uh, he had gone through the whole process out in California. Uh, where the uh, 
the Secretary of State went to remove Donald Trump from the ballot, saying that he had participated in an insurrection. The, the, their Supreme Court agreed, got appealed to the United States Supreme Court. And yesterday, uh, the first uh, justice to speak was Lorena Kagan, and she immediately took all the air out of the balloon by saying, hey, look, I think you're arguing the wrong point here. It sure looks as though we're headed to a 9 to nothing, 8 to one ruling in, uh, right. in the direction you and I kind of thought it would go. Yeah, I think that's right. And uh, I was surprised that uh, a number of legal scholars, you know, these legal pundits that all the news channels have, uh, even the ones that were left of center were saying that the arguments that the Colorado advocates were making were just not sound arguments. Uh, what The only thing that I think is going to be interesting here and what I'm looking for is how narrowly they're going to draw this this. this um, decision because uh, it, if they if they are going to base it on the fact that if they're going to build it around whether the president is an officer or not or whether they're going to base it narrowly on some other grounds that uh, Donald Trump's not been convicted or even indicted for being part of a of an insurrection and there are folks that have been convicted of seditious conspiracy as part of the January 6th, the folks that crashed the Capitol. So, well, um, but the, but Donald Trump's charges, even, even the January 6th case in Washington that Jack Smith has brought and those indictment counts uh, do not include a conspiracy well, or, a, a, you know, I, from the left of center perspective, the questions yesterday that uh, were specific to, wait a minute, we're going to allow Colorado to do this. That means any state can go forward and do it. You don't think that Jay Ashcroft or somebody from Missouri would just arbitrarily find some way to pull people off the ballot? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a, a tit-for-tat game, uh, but we will wait, uh, anticipating the court will rule much quicker than they normally do, but probably still a month away. Uh, well, I think that's right, because you're going to have... I don't know that there's going to be one opinion. It may be eight to one or nine to zero, but I'll bet there's two or three or maybe four concurring opinions as well. We all remember that both the current and former president had classified documents inside their home. Uh, we're going to deal with Joe Biden because yesterday the uh, special counsel report came out and said that, yes, in fact, Joe Biden willingly and knowingly held on to classified documents, didn't properly store them. Uh, once he had recognized he had them, he turned them over, but it was still technically a violation of the law. The special counsel then goes on to describe that they feel as though they'd have a hard time prosecuting that case in front of a jury uh, because of, among other things, the, for, the current president of the United States is an elderly man who has a forgetful memory and, uh, and would be sympathetic to the jurors. I don't think that what uh, Joe Biden did was the same as Donald Trump, but that's not the question here, John. The question is, Joe Biden technically violated the law. Should they be going forward with charges? Well, the, the difference is Biden is claiming that he didn't know those documents were there, that they were loaded by staff members, and, you know, who knows. Uh, you know, Trump had hundreds of documents and uh, and then move them around so as to conceal them from the folks coming to find them and defy so, the subpoenas too and defy the subpoenas. So there's you know there's a difference there. I think well a couple of things uh, for those who think that the Justice Department is weaponized against uh, conservatives or whatever. This report, though it exonerated Biden in terms of breaking the law under the Espionage Act, uh, what was in that report was, I think, devastating to Joe Biden. It said he couldn't remember when he was the vice president. What year 
He was vice president. Said he couldn't remember what year his son died. Wasn't even close. Uh, he said his, his memory throughout was astonishing. And they had interviewed him in 2017 about one thing. They've interviewed him again, you know, I guess last October uh, in the context of this investigation. And the report lays out, anybody that reads that thinks, wow, you know, this guy has got some real cognitive issues. Uh, and then in, re- in, in response to that, the president takes to the stage last night, the briefing room in the White House. And yeah. what did you see? We got a, an announcement that the president of the United States was going to be addressing the nation in 15 minutes. Many people were wondering, well, did we attack somebody, et cetera? No, it was going to be all related to the special counsel. The president uh, angrily took to the stage, said that what was said about him was inappropriate and wrong, challenged the special counsel specifically as it uh, related to uh, his memory about his son, said, how dare they bring that up? Let's put all that aside for a second, John. It was a disaster. Yep. The president of the United States validated everything that the special counsel had said about him. Um, and, you know, look, this isn't a surprise. We've been watching this for the last three and a half years. We've been watching this president diminish before our eyes. We've had Democrats hoping, wishing, praying that this isn't going to happen the way that it's going. I'm one of them. I'm a Joe Biden supporter. I didn't sleep well last night. That's not the type of thing that's going to make you feel well. And then after he gets done giving his speech, which we can all agree is a total disaster, we then watch the Democratic operatives say, well, it's a little bit different. Come on, he's an older guy. Let it go. No, folks. Why are we gaslighting people? You can't be out making the argument that you're the adults in the room and that you're going to do what's right for the country against a insurrectionist, felon-indicted uh, former president and then sit there and say, but there's nothing to see here when we essentially have weekend at Bernie's going on at the White House. <laughs> This is a problematic issue for the Democrats, and I don't know, John, if if there's not loved ones inside the Biden and, uh, family that can maybe speak up, if there's other Democrats that can do it, but this is not going to get any better. And let me just tell you, I would take a, a, a vegetable, a dog, anybody over Donald Trump, so let's not misconstrue this as, you know, we're going to go out and suddenly support Republicans, and that, you know, but... This isn't good, and this plays into the narrative that Donald Trump, the con man, is out there selling. Well, you know, I don't, I don't like to talk, Michael. Yeah. Uh, but uh, for some time now, I've been. In fact, we may have even James O'Sullivan marked the tape. For some time now, I've been saying that Joe Biden is not going to be the Democratic nominee for president, and you know, everybody says it's a done deal. I'm telling you. Now, they may be in a situation where they can't fix their problem. My party's in a situation where we can't fix our problem. We're nominating Donald Trump. He's a flawed candidate. He's very unpopular nationally. And he's the one guy that maybe could lose to Joe Biden, although I think today Trump beats Biden. Uh, My party's not going to be able to fix that problem. Donald Trump's going to be the nominee. He's going to be on the ballot. He may be a convicted felon by that point, but he's going to be the Republican Party nominee, and the Republican Party is incapable— Unwilling, yes, but even if willing, incapable of fixing that problem. The Democrats are not there. They are capable of solving this problem they have. And I would submit, you know, to Democrats, pick a, pick a fresh face. I don't care who it is almost. Pick a fresh face, put them on up there against Donald Trump, and the election's over. 
but if they if you insist on running Joe Biden, he's probably going to lose to Donald Trump. And but but the reality is is that the person who's insisting on running is the president. I know. Um, and I I don't think anyone can look at what happened last night. And well, feel like week, this is going to be any better. Exactly. This whole this week, whole week has gaff been gaff after gaff. And then, you know, he said, my memory's just fine. And then goes on to talk about how the president of Mexico <laughs> should have opened the border between Hamas and, you know, Egypt. I mean, what in the world is going on? And, you know, I'm fine. Look, this is not a reason to go vote for Donald Trump. I mean, let, let's be clear. I mean, the, the, the issues of Donald Trump aren't going away. But... What type of alternative are the Democrats offering? We should be honoring this man. He really picked us up at a bad time, helped steer us in a new direction, helped bring sanity back to the White House, but it's clearly showing that he deserves to be able to ride off into the sunset. Well, you talked about what's wrong inside your party, John. Yeah. What is going on inside your party as it relates to Russia? You feel I feel as though while I'm watching my party implode, with someone who's losing their capabilities, I'm watching the Republicans embrace communism. Well, it's uh, it's it's beyond anything I ever expected to see. You know, um, you've got a situation where 17 Republicans voted to provide funding for for Ukraine's defense. Now that's enough. Uh, it was enough to get cloture on on the foreign aid bill uh, yesterday. It'll be enough to pass the aid in the Senate. Uh, remains to be seen what happens in the House, but 17, and you know, I think I think where the Republican Party is right now is deciding whether they're going to be a, a party that doesn't feel it's appropriate to engage in other parts of the world, and I think that is a profound mistake and misjudgment. But that's what's going on, and Donald Trump's not the only voice in that camp. Rand Paul and a lot of others are as well. We should. We are going to step aside uh, for news at the top of the hour, but let's throw open the phone lines, 314-436-7900. If you watched the speech last night, maybe you're a Joe Biden supporter. Are you nervous about what you witnessed with the former or with the current president of the United States right now? Should the Democrats switch horses? We'll talk about it with you (laughs) after this on the Mighty Mighty Mox. Time for the Friday edition of Hancock and Kelly. You two belong together. John Hancock, Michael Kelly on News Radio 1120, KMOX. Hancock, I'm worried. I, uh, I hear that. Worked and ran uh, in Missouri uh, the the Joe Biden campaign uh, the last time he ran. Uh, we weren't successful in Missouri, but we were successful uh, throughout the country in electing him president. Uh, last night, I watched that press conference as the former, as the current president uh, took to the podium, rightfully so, uh, wanting to take after the special counsel. Uh, gosh knows that Donald Trump does that on a regular basis, saying, "Hey, listen, picking on me, picking on my dead son," uh, and you know, in the midst of that, uh, essentially uh, made the case that the special counsel was trying to make that this was an elderly man who has a forgetful memory and whose faculties uh, seem to be diminishing. And you're worried. And I'm worried that this translates into a loss for the Democrats uh, against against Donald Trump, who has no business ever returning anywhere near the White House. Um, And I just think Democrats are leaving their head in the sand here. Uh, especially after last night's performance. Four three six seven nine hundred. We would love to hear from our erudite listeners out there. One of whom is joining us now, Sue. Welcome to welcome to KMOX. Oh, I'm clicking the button, James. Nothing is happening. There she is. Hello, Sue. Welcome to KMOX. Okay, I think 
that this is kind of an orchestrated thing that now it, Biden can say, you know, I, I really am having some medical issues and he won't have to be dumped by the party. All right. Thanks yeah. for the call. Well, I, I think that's exactly what's well, going to happen. I don't think it's being orchestrated. I think the president truly wants to run for reelect. But that's definitely a message that could be used in a pivot, John. Yeah, I, I, I've been saying for weeks, if not months, that that's what's going to happen. Eventually, they're going to have to make a change, and I just think it's going to happen. So uh, let's click on Dan, shall we? Oh, there's Dan. Well, you're on KMOX. Hey, guys. Sue kind of beat me to the punch, but when you take people like David Axelrod, and he says Joe's incapable. Joe can turn around and say, I'm completely capable. But when you have an outside influence, and I believe that this was completely orchestrated by the Democratic National Committee, and I believe the whole thing is a setup to say, see, Joe, here's now an outside individual who's made the, the uh, identification of your inability. And you've got to step aside. It's not anyone from inside the party, but it's a special prosecutor with no influence. And I think he's now he's going to go. Thanks for the call. Right. I, say, I, I think he's going to go, too. Uh, now, I will tell you that the at least what the White House has said, uh, you know, off the record with folks, is that uh, Biden went out and did that statement last night on his own against the advice of his staff. So uh, yeah, I, don't, I don't believe that that was orchestrated. I think he wanted to do it. But uh, in the process of it, I think he showed exactly what it is that he was trying to combat. All right, let's go to Mike, shall we? Mike, you are on X. I was wondering if Michael could um, shed a little light on what happens in Chicago, I think, at the Democratic convention. Could Gavin Newsom step in? Could, could, could Joe give him all of his delegates? Yeah, I, I would have to better understand, uh, you know, so ever since these conventions have gotten messed up in the last couple of years, and conventions essentially have become a coronation yeah. and not a fight— uh, but, you know, the Democrats, we have what's called superdelegates. Yes. Um, and superdelegates, and they're, I want to say they're 30% of the— It's uh, like 500 of, yeah, I mean, it's a of the large delegates. number. And they're allowed to be able to come in and bigfoot the process a bit. I think that this may get resolved. Just because you are a delegate for Joe Biden doesn't mean that you have to go vote for Joe Biden. So if Joe Biden were to step out tomorrow, he could say, my pledge delegates, which I guess only have come from South Carolina— At this point. I'm requesting you go with— uh, Gavin Newsom or XYZ. Yeah, that's how it could happen. You know, the question would be, I'd always thought they they would have solved this problem before South Carolina, but they clearly didn't do that. So this idea of fixing it at the convention makes some sense to me. And I think that would go precisely, Michael, as you said, they've got they've got this slew of superdelegates that are free to do whatever. If Biden then turns his del- and Biden will have the only delegates Right. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, it would be relatively easy to do this at the con- relatively easy to do this at the convention. Uh, and perhaps that's where where it's headed. Let's go to James. James, you're on KMOX. Yeah, uh, I just want to know what the special counsel's point, why they was even reporting that they thought Joe Biden's memory was showed he was an elderly person. I didn't know that was. And it sounded like Bitter just trying to point out something that wasn't under your bit. That wasn't a report. What the yeah, report was about. Good point, Joe. A lot of people on my side are saying that. And I think it was a bit gratuitous what they, they did in exposing. But they did admit that the president had violated the law and that technically they potentially could go forward with the prosecution. But then they went on to say they don't think that they would have a jury that would 
be able to uh, convict him of violating the law because he's a sympathetic witness. And that's part of what prosecutors take in. And they explained that. Now, I think they went over the top, bringing his son into it, et cetera. But was anybody surprised well, with what he said? So it, it looked awfully political. So it was a report, though. And in the, in the process of putting together the report, they interviewed the president. And that they just reporting out what happened. Now the the bit about being a sympathetic witness, I will give, I will grant you that was you know gratuitous. Um, and and I mean the real reason that they're not pressing charges here is because he didn't knowingly take those. At least the the special counsel could not prove that he knowingly took the documents, which is the standard you would have to meet uh, to meet the Espionage Act. And because he couldn't prove that, he wasn't going to bring charges. And, and the, the memory lapses and all of that becomes relevant in telling that story, I think. Let's go to Pam. Pam, you are on Camel X. Hi there. Uh, my only comment is I wish John Bolton would run for president. Oh, my. Thank you, Pam. Well, there you go. We haven't had a president with a mustache since, uh, let me think about this. I guess Theodore Roosevelt was John the last president Bolton. with a mustache. I wonder where that came from. Well, a lot of people like John Bolton out there. <laughs> Let's see what Rick has to say. Rick, you're on KMOX. Do you guys remember when Susan Rice reti- resigned from the uh, cabinet? Yes. I, I think she did so to distance herself from Biden and... She's your next nominee on the Democratic side. Could be. Uh, I'm very close to Barack Obama. I'm telling you right now, if the Democrats make a switch, it's going to be the governor of California. I think that's right, because yeah. Gavin Newsom solves their Kamala Harris problem. Right. Uh, Harris is almost as unpopular as Joe Biden. And you can't have the president and vice president from the same state. And so if Newsom is your nominee, Harris could not be the vice president. And you have candidate. to and you have to come in with somebody who has ability to raise money and has a national fundraising base. And there's very few of those that can do that. This is fun, man. We yeah. haven't talked to our great listeners in a while. I'm enjoying this greatly. Let's go now to Charles. Charles, you're on Camel X. Hey, good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Great. Oh, good. Well, my take would be this. I do think that Joe Biden has perhaps lost his fastball, but I don't think Donald Trump ever really had one. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I do think that Joe Biden is a decent enough person, and I do think that he is an adherent to the Constitution to where if his cabinet perhaps invoked the 25th Amendment, I think he would go willingly. Trump, not so much. Yeah, sure. but that's an interesting observation. Uh, the Twenty Fifth Amendment—that's not been in our conversation. But, yeah, but but should we be making our decision on president on oh, this is a guy I can go remove in a couple of years? No, that's not what we ought to <laughs> well, be doing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, let's go to the back to the phone. Let's lines. go to Gary. I think I know who this might be. Gary, you're on Camel X. Gentlemen, how are you doing today? Hey, the trust. So guy. good to hear from you, Gary, the trust man. Well, ex-trust man, I stopped driving in June, as a matter of fact. The last year, I've helped out the old company a few times on Saturday. So are you you retired uh, now? God, no. I lost my pension way back in 08 when all that crashed. Um, Hey, so, yeah, I I started working for a state agency, so uh, I don't make no money, but uh, maybe have some longevity. There you you go. For old old people. You know how it goes. I do. Where where are you at, Gary? What, what, what What do you think we ought to do on this issue? Well, I'm curious, who, in all seriousness, who can we find that's got some common sense on both sides, on the Republican side or the Democrat side? I don't see anybody that wants to step up and, and work with 
both sides because we don't need somebody that I'm going to get in and we're going to stick it to them. No, you're sticking it to the American people. We need each other. We need to work together. And I don't see anybody on either side. I thought Nikki Haley would be a decent choice. But I don't know. I, I, All right, Jerry. I, I, thanks for the well, call, brother. That, that's a, you know that's the issue, and we kind of covered that. We got to step aside, unfortunately. But you know the the die is cast on on my side on the Republicans. Donald Trump is going to be the Republican nominee, and that's been the case now for months. And if you if you're a fan of that, then good for you because it's going to happen. If you think that Donald Trump is not the best choice, that's where I happen to be. Uh, we have lost, and and so there's no fixing. Uh, the Republican problem if you think Donald Trump is a problem. There is fixing the Democrat problem if you believe Joe Biden well, is a problem. And I, it would be political malpractice at this point for them not to do something. Yeah, I agree. But, I mean, when Gary said we want somebody with common sense, to me that was Joe Biden four years ago. He seemed to be a common sense alternative to um, to Donald Trump. Joe Biden is not the same human being he was three years ago. Uh, and last night validated all the criticism. Hey, we need to step aside. We when we come back, we're going to visit with Colonel McCausland. Lots going on with Russia after this right here on KMOX. Now, back to Hancock and Kelly. Sponsored by Insperity. HR that makes a difference. On News Radio 1120, KMOX. Well, if the week wasn't crazy enough... As it is already, we also had the backdrop of the border fight, John Hancock, which included uh, funding the border and aid to Ukraine. That got all messed up. Where does it stand? Let's find out. Well, Colonel Jeff McCausland joins us, CBS News military expert, and he's one of our favorite guests here on The Voice of St. Louis. Uh, Colonel McCausland, welcome aboard. The uh, the aid to Ukraine has been a political football uh, for the better part of six or more months at this point. So before we get into the politics of all of that, what is the situation on the ground in Ukraine? I think I read that the Russian troops are making advances for the first time in quite some time. Is that accurate? Yeah, the Persians are appearing as trying to conduct their own counteroffensive. Appearing around a town called Avdivka near Donetsk, down the Donetsk province, try to secure that particular area, and also around Kharkiv, more in the north and eastern part of the country. Now, these seem to be right now uh, moving along very slowly, and there's an open question, frankly, whether or not the Russians have sufficient reserves too, if in fact they were to achieve any kind of a you know a breakout, that they could exploit those particular military advantages. That is correct. At the same time, the Russians are intensifying their missile strikes on uh, Ukraine. Ukraine, uh, Kiev, the capital of Ukraine, suffered perhaps one of the largest missile strikes this year, at least, uh, just a couple of days ago. And this underscores one of the growing problems in Ukraine, which is a shortage of ammunition. At one point in time, the Ukrainians were firing about 5,000 rounds of artillery a day. Now they're down to firing about 2,000 rounds a day, and that's a direct, a direct reflection of the inability of the United States Congress to resolve this question of military aid. And furthermore, uh, the missiles that are striking Ukrainian cities now are, are having more effect because the Ukrainians are running very, very short on air defense missiles to counteract that. And the Ukrainian ambassador in Washington have brought that up even this morning in trying to urge lawmakers to move forward on military aid to Ukraine. Yeah, and, and so, you know, our European allies have been— putting money in uh, in considerable amounts. But the United States, uh, that pipeline has come to a halt. Now, we did have a vote in the Senate uh, as they're advancing the standalone foreign aid package. 
And there were 17 Republicans that voted for cloture on the thing, which is a shocking number to me. That means, you know, 30-some voted, didn't vote for it. Regardless, it looks like Ukraine aid is going to pass in the Senate relatively quickly, I think. Where do things stand in the House? Well, you know, what's going on in the United States Congress is trying to, like, read your crystal ball right now. My crystal ball is a little cloudy, to say the very least. Uh, but it's it's very... It seems to me that if, in fact, a bill for Ukrainian mail aid, which, by the way, is combined with military aid to Israel and military aid to Taiwan, was brought to the floor of the House, that would likely pass. I think most, if not all, the Democrats would vote for it, and at least a significant number, if not a majority, of Republicans. The open question is whether or not, frankly, the Speaker of the House, Mr. Johnson, will actually allow the, the, the bill to come to the floor for a vote, or will he continue to hold it hostage for more concessions from the Democrats on the border, which seems like a fruitless effort at this point, to my mind, and more focused on trying to score political points with a political base and prepare for elections and maintain the border as an issue. So uh, we f- we'll find out this week that Tucker Carlson, the conservative commentator, went to Russia, interviewed Vladimir Putin for a couple of uh, hours. This is on top of what seems to feel like a growing support of Vladimir Putin and Russia inside the Republican Party. Is this being mimicked in Europe by some of our allies? Are we starting to see some contingencies being sympathetic to the Russians in Europe? No, we're not. I haven't seen that. I mean, there's a few exceptions. Frankly, Viktor Orban in Hungary has been a longstanding, somewhat friendly towards uh, the Russians, uh, the president of Slovakia. But beyond that, I haven't seen that at all. And in fact, if you talk about Eastern European states, the Baltic Republics, Poland, Romania, Bulgaria, who are really the new front line. Uh, in all this, they're they're becoming more and more steadfast. I mean, even today, the Chancellor of Germany, Olaf Scholz, will be visiting the White House, and it's somewhat embarrassing because it looks like the Germans are going to announce a, a, real, a massive military aid package for Ukraine uh, of over 100 Leopard 1 tanks and other vehicles, bringing them up to spending about $17 billion on Ukraine. And you, as you said at the top, now if you base all the particular spending by the European Union to the United States, and that's about a rough equality based on the size of economies, the size of population. Europeans now have provided more overall assistance to Ukraine, though a significant portion of their assistance has been economic and humanitarian aid. They don't have the industrial base we have to uh, you know, match us in terms of being able to provide military hardware. Before we let you go, and time's uh, running short, sadly, uh, there is this divide now in the Republican Party of folks that uh, basically want to focus and concentrate strictly on our borders. Uh, they don't want the United States involved. Why are we giving all of this money to all these other countries? You know, you've heard that rhetoric. It's populist rhetoric. Um, explain to our listeners why that approach to world affairs is fundamentally wrong and very dangerous. Well, first of all, I would go back to Tucker Carlson. Can anybody imagine during the blitz over London, the United States wasn't in the war, that an American journalist would go and be friendly with Adolf Hitler and do an ongoing uh, interview? I think that parallel is pretty close. As far as us providing assistance, I think I say there are three reasons. The first is a moral reason. I fought in the war in Kuwait because we said aggression by a neighboring state against a small country was a violation of international norm. It was, in fact, immoral, and we liberated that country from the Iraqis back in 1991. What Putin has done in Ukraine is exactly the same. This is an immoral act, aggression against a smaller country, and virtually 
thousands and thousands of innocent Ukrainian women and children and elderly have been killed, not to mention the millions who have been displaced. That's a moral reason. Values reason. Yes, there's no doubt Ukraine is an imperfect democracy, to say the least. But it's a far more democracy than Russia. Right now, the Russians are getting ready to expel the one guy who's running on for president against Putin, who has no chance of being elected, but he is running on a peace ticket. And so the Russians have decided that he hasn't filled out his forms right, so he won't be allowed to run for president. So much for democracy in Russia. And it seems to me if we Americans stand up for values of freedom, justice, liberty, democracy, we would stand up for a democracy. And then last but not least, geopolitics. And I would simply quote the prime minister of Japan, who's standing in the streets of Kiev next to Mr. Zelensky, once said, you know, if you want to deter aggression by the Chinese in East Asia, then you have to win the war in Ukraine. Losing the war in Ukraine would encourage every dictator around the world, whether it's North Korea, whether it's China, whether it's Iran, whether it's Russian Federation, to be more aggressive. Can any person who opposes this possibly believe that if Putin won tomorrow and overtook Ukraine, that that would satisfy him any more than Adolf Hitler was satisfied with Czechoslovakia and Austria. He is Jeff McCausland, CBS News military analyst. There's no better analysis of what's happening than what you just heard right there. Colonel, enjoy the Super Bowl. And when we come back, we'll visit with Joe LaRue, former uh, NFL referee, retired about two years. He's refed inside the Super Bowl. He's going to talk us through what it's like to be an NFL referee, what it's like to work the Super Bowl, and whether or not these guys get it right most of the time. After this on KMOX. Hey, welcome back to KMOX. I am excited about the next half hour we're going to spend with you. We have Joe LaRue, a good friend of mine. He's a former NFL referee. He's also a lawyer here in town. He's a golfing buddy of mine, and he's one of the nicest human beings you'll ever meet and kind enough to come in studio today. Joe, welcome to KMOX. Thank you for having me. I'm surprised you would do it two years in a row. Oh, are you kidding? (laughs) This is the greatest interview ever. So you you were an NFL referee for what, two decades? Yes, that's right, 20 years. And you have a ref the Super Bowl. I did, Super Bowl 47. And if I'm correct, that was what, uh, uh, San Francisco and Baltimore. That's the lights out Super Bowl, right? And, and the Harbaugh game. Both, both coaches yeah, were right, Harbaugh's. Right, right. And, and for what, 45 minutes the game was stopped because About you guys lost power? 47 minutes, yeah. It was, it was pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you'd never experienced anything like that before, right? No, and, and you know, when you're standing down in the darkness in the, in, in, in the New Orleans Super Bowl dome, I mean, you're on the floor. You're like, boy, this is really weird. And 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 initially, they thought this might be, you know, terrorism. Terrorist, you know, yeah. and then they figured out it was some, you know, mechanical thing and uh, told us it'll take us this long to get it fixed. And and that's what happened. He was spent 20 plus years in the NFL. I see you have a Super Bowl ring. How many Super Bowls did you ref? And how do you get picked to be a Super Bowl referee? Well, I, I worked one, and I'm very happy and proud to have had that one. Uh, uh, and it's based on your grading or performance. I mean, they grade every play of every game during the year and rank you and you know uh, theoretically theoretically you're if you finish number one you work the super bowl and and that grading so they who does the grading the officials themselves is it the nfl or who who actually performs it's the league they have we have uh supervisors in the officiating department and every week you know one of them is assigned to look at every play in the game at every official on every play and then uh you know with comments uh you know good and bad, and also to grade every flag or every play where they think there should have been a flag and one was not thrown, and that's how they do it. You have, I think, as difficult a job. You were a, a, a lines 
judge, right? I was a deep official, deep line. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so you're covering inbounds, out of bounds, but you're also covering a lot of downfield pass interference calls, which are in so many games determinative of who wins and who loses. That's got to, the pressure of that has got to be immense. Well, to put it in perspective, you know, there, there is no yardage to that. It's the spot of the foul. Cause, so it could be a 50-yard penalty. penalty. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a game changer. And and going into that, you see how often are you the only official that sees something and nobody else sees it? And and how did you? Are you on an island at that? Fortunately, point? it's that's very rare. Yeah. Normally, you know, we all overlap each other in terms of coverage and what we're looking at. When the ball goes in the air, then everybody goes to the, to the players with, where the ball is. Okay. As opposed to you know, I have responsibilities on certain people at the line of scrimmage when the play starts. You know, but. But once the quarterback throws a ball, everybody should be looking over in that area, assuming you're downfield. So we all have the benefit on Sundays of slow motion, about 30 different angles. Uh, now that you're a, a fan like us, you're watching the games on a Sunday, uh, and we all consternate over blown calls or what people perceive to be blown calls. Now as a retired uh, NFL referee, when you watch the game, do you feel like you guys are getting it right most of the time? I know we are. Yeah. I know we are. I mean, how many times do they change it? I mean, you know, there, there's there's so much more replay review now, and then how often do they come back and say that, uh, you know, they reversed the call? But, I mean, but, again, that's one thing that's good about replay is that they have the ability to catch obvious mistakes and, and correct it right there. And, and as you're pointing out, John, I mean, on a pass, you know, I might have half a second yeah. to, to recognize that I got to know where the ball is, I got to know where the – you know, the player is, the contact. and what, what Where the defender's win. head is. In some plays, i got to know whether the quarterback was in the pocket when he threw the ball. I mean, there's all kinds right. of things you got to take into consideration. Is, is there ever the thought of, I think I saw something, I'll call it, and replay can fix it? Or if you didn't, if you I, I have, have no, no respect, certainty. I have no respect for you if you if you officiate that way. You do not officiate the replay. You, you were paid, you're hired to make the call on the field, and if replay changes it or comes in, well, that's what their job is, Okay. But do I think that there are officials that do it? Yeah, I do. And I think that's a mistake. That is. I want to take you to one particular incident that happened late in the season. It was consequential. The Detroit Lions and the Dallas Cowboys late in the game. Uh, And the the Lions are going for two uh, to to win the game. It was a one-point game. And rather than kick the extra point, they were going for two. And they had a tackle-eligible play that came in. Uh, The referee apparently misunderstood which player was eligible on the play and it apparently blew the call. How did you – you know the call I'm talking about. Yeah, and I, the, ref, the referee did not blow the call, and mm-hmm. I don't think he mistakenly did. You know, the, the Detroit coach set that up to trick the defense, you know, in terms of uh, who was going to be eligible right. wearing an ineligible number, okay? So he sent two or three players to the referee, which that never happens unless you're reporting. I mean, that was a design situation, and he admitted after – uh, the game was over later on that, that that's what they were doing, uh, trying to fool the Cowboys. Uh-huh. But at the same time, that same player that he that the referee reported had been reporting to him the whole ball game, not the other guy, okay? Uh, uh, I mean, there's some issue as to whether he got it right from the guy, but the bottom line is you'll see the players going to the referee, yeah. reporting to him, and he announced the guy to talk to him, okay? And uh, and again, their 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 goal was to fool the Cowboys into thinking that one guy's. But that that is not part of 
the rule. Well, that is not the intent of the rule. Because, in fact, the referee announces publicly that number 68 is eligible. Not only does to he the announce defense, it, he points he, at him. And, tells and the then defense. every official on the field will point at him, too, to acknowledge yeah. that this is the guy. And, and you have to tell the defense that's the guy that's reporting as ineligible. Well, I can tell you right now, the uh, 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 whatever team it was, they knew what they or Detroit knew what they were doing when when if, if in fact he had gotten the wrong information, they could have corrected it. Right. They didn't want to correct it. They and that's why. They, and and the first my first reaction when I saw the play is, how did that guy get so open? Nobody was covering him. Right. Well, you know why? Because they didn't know he was uh, declared as an LG. Yeah. I mean, that was my first reaction to it. Something's wrong here. That's great. I mean, that is a great description of, of what happened. And that, I mean, thinking back on that play, that's exactly how it happened. Well, well think about the, the you know, Quinn, who Dan, Dan Quinn, whatever, the, the defensive coordinator, for he's one of the best coaches in the league. You think he wouldn't have covered a guy? I mean, there's no way he wouldn't have had the guy covered if he knew he was reporting as, a, as an eligible. So, obviously, we're going to talk about the Super Bowl when we come back in the next segment. But give us a little flavor of what an NFL referee's life is like. If you're refing a game at noon on Sunday, when does your week start and when does it end? Well, I mean, there's something going on throughout the week. As if you check with my law partners, they'll be happy to let you know that I was practicing football law. <laughs> <laughs> but the bottom line is, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, as soon as the game's over, you're going to be on the plane watching the, the, the video of the game and having a cocktail. But my point is, you do that, and then you know you've got to, you got to file an online report by Monday. You did a you did a paper report after the game. You have an online report by Monday. Uh, you know by by Monday night, Tuesday, you're going to have grades back, and you have to file responses to them. Okay, you've got a rules test that goes out every week that you got to you know work on and have it ready to, before you get to the game. Um, you know, so you got the grading process three days, and then you know Thursday and Friday, you know it's it's kind of like you look at training tapes. Uh, you know, uh, scouting tapes of the teams, you know, receivers, players, whatever. Uh, you know, you're normally on a Sunday game. You're flying out Saturday morning, and unfortunately with St. Louis, that means i got to connect everywhere. So I'm <laughs> out at 4 o'clock in the morning, and, uh, you know, I get to the site, and we have a three-hour, you know, pregame uh, meeting in the afternoon. And then normally I try to get to the room. and what, I used to watch college football, but those games are so long now, I can't stay <laughs> you know, And they got – so much replay, it's ridiculous. Uh, and then, you know, I got to be at the stadium next morning, three hours before the game. You got pregame responsibilities, and then you work the game, and then it all starts all over again. Yeah, and not to mention, I mean, you're out there with world-class athletes. You've got to keep yourself in yeah. some good shape. I mean, you guys, uh, on average, what, 40 to 65 years well, old or so? I, I mean, that's the range, 40 to 65. I actually almost hit 70 when I left, and I think they decided that you know, it was one thing for me to be two decades behind these world-class athletes, but not four. <laughs> Joe LaRue is our guest, a former NFL official, and uh, what a joy it is to have him. He's going to stick around after this short break. We'll be right back. It's Hancock and Kelly on KMOX. Rich Horace hosts the KMOX Home Improvement Show, presented by Mosby Building Arts, Saturday at 11 on The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Welcome back to the Hancock and Kelly Show. We're visiting with Joe LaRue, former NFL referee, local labor attorney here in St. Louis. And Joe, uh, you've refereed uh, one Super Bowl. We're going to have this Super Bowl now in Las Vegas. Gambling is a part of the NFL, and that's something that uh, they've had a very scrupulous eye on in the past, correct? I mean, I, I, it's uh, every year when we have our, our summer clinic, uh, you know, I bet they spend an hour with us just going over all the, they'll, they'll explain the lines, gambling and all that. And they just make it, you know, very clear. And it's in our contract that I couldn't even go to Las Vegas without getting clearance. And that was just, you know, in business or whatever. 
And, uh, you know, uh, I could I could never go into a hotel with a sports book. Uh, uh, yeah, no, it was clearly understood that you, you didn't go anywhere near that. And now you've got, what, in, in-house, in-stadium, you know, betting that you yeah. can do? Unbelievable. Yeah, and, I, and and Vegas. Is there a concern for the integrity of the game? I think I think there has to be, and there there's a strong concern. And I can tell you, the league takes it very seriously. So here's my question: I love technology. You know, I'm a as you know, Michael, oh yeah, you're I'm a tech guy. The, I'm up to the very latest of <laughs> yeah. the new technology. Doesn't so know you got, password. We yeah, got yeah. the replays out there where you got you know the camera, the slow mo. You can watch the guy. And they they even paint the first down line on the on the screen there for me. That yellow line where you got to reach that yellow line, which they call an estimate on the TV, whatever. And but all of this technology, Joe Larue, in football and all of sports, and yet. It's fourth and inches, <laughs> and the ball is placed down on the field, and out come two 60-year-old gentlemen with a couple of sticks and a chain, a 10-foot chain link. That seems to me to be a little less, I don't know, in this technological age, that's a little archaic, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think it'll change eventually. They'll go to something. I mean, they've got so many. But they could fix it now with replay on cameras, depending on, whether they can spot the ball. You know, the thing is, the first call by, by the official subjective. It's what right. they think it is. And you can't always see the ball, although you're not supposed to call anything until you know. But but they can pick that up. And, yeah, but that is the, the mechanic, the routine for figuring out whether yeah. it's first down is when you put the ball on the ground and stretch the chains, and sometimes they're older guys. So <laughs> is, is, the, is the spot of the ball, do you start the 10 yards from the front tip? Yes. Of the football. So yes. so the front tip of the football starts your 10-yard game. And all it's got to do is break the plane of the, of yeah. the line to gain line, you know, and uh, again, that's that's somewhat subjective. I think that I don't even know whether they they started putting something in the balls, but even that, because yeah. depending on whether the ball's in the front or this way or whatever. Well, so, it's when the knee goes down. I mean, there's so well, many moving parts. that determines when the, the player is down. Right. The question is where the ball, the ball that was. Head. People don't understand that it's all about where the ball is yeah. when you decide that the play's dead. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so it's 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 probably old fashioned, but uh, you know, I, who knows? I think they'll probably modernize. Any it. rule change that you think would be helpful in football? Um, yeah, but I mean, they're more technical things. Uh, you know, like you know, you have an, you have an example. Uh, uh, no, I I can't think of anything that I would change right now. I, I I do think that the fact that you know the game is all about the safety of the players is is the most important you know consideration. You. I, you uh, have uh, obviously are a fan now. Would you consider yourself a fan? You watch the games. Do you root for teams? I watch the games, and I yeah. I, there's there's one team I like more than others. I try not to advertise it. Sure. But, uh, uh, yeah. No. And I, mostly, I'm a fan of certain coaches and players and things like That's that. That's what I was going to ask you. You know the human beings who are playing in this Super Bowl, whether it be Andy Reid or Patrick Mahomes or Kyle Shanahan or uh, the McCafferty. You know these are good humans. Yeah, I, when I when I say know them, I interact with them, you know, and uh, whatever. Especially like like Coach Reed. I mean, he was coaching in Philadelphia when I started twenty years ago, so I got to know him pretty well. And I had his, you know, when when you go to training camps with these guys, you spend all day with them, and you know, it's it's not like I mean, if, if Coach Reed saw me, would he know me? Yes, uh, you know, it's not like you have an off season relationship. But but my point is, you know, when you work with the same coaches and players, so many times you get to know each other. Yeah. Uh, you, these humans that we see on television are huge, right? And they're going at each other a thousand miles an hour. Everything seems to be fair in the NFL. Uh, is that their personality or is that just during a game? Uh, that's during a game. I mean, there, I mean, there is something that happens to these players when they take the field and play the game that it's hard to describe. I mean, 
the uh, you know the hitting, the size, the strength, the speed, and everything are uh, that that was probably the most amazing difference when I went from college ball to the pros. And these guys are doing this for a living. I mean, this is for their families and whatever. So they take it dead serious and they play to win. Just have a second. Better game today than it was twenty years ago, or about the same? Um. I don't. I don't think you can compare them because you know when I watched uh, you know the Green Bay Packers in the seventies or sixties and seventies and no, uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, they were all great teams for their time. Do I think you know? I, I mean, Dan Deerdorf and I've flown together a number of times and we've talked about that. It's different. I mean, Dan Deerdorf is one of the top offensive linemen, Hall of Fame linemen, and he was what two seventy five, two eighty. These yeah, guys are three seventy five, yeah. three eighty. Yeah. So imagine the difference. That's Joe Larue, former NFL official, Super Bowl fifty eight on Sunday, and the. Chris and Amy show is next on KMOX.